Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond blog, Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and the chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog talk radio. Well, tonight's discussion is on mobilizing the community to tell their story. And my guest is Dr. Eva Simeon Baham. She is an assistant professor of history at Dillard University in New Orleans. Prior to coming to Dillard, she taught for 21 years at Southern University in Baton Rouge, and her specialties include American, African-American, and intellectual history. She received her undergraduate degree in journalism from Southern University and her Master's of Arts and her Ph.D. in American Studies History from Purdue University. Currently, her work involves genealogy, biographical studies, and the history of African Americans in Louisiana. Her most recent project is the book, African Americans in Covington, published June 2015. This followed a two-year study and presentation of the history of African Americans in Covington in observance of the city's bicentennial in 2013. So let me give a warm welcome to Dr. Eva Simeon Baham to research at the National Archives and beyond. Welcome, Eva. Well, thank you, Bernice. I'm glad that you are having me today. This is quite a pleasure to be on your show. Well, I am really glad to have you on the show tonight because we're going to talk about something that I don't know how many genealogists really give a lot of thought to. And if they do, then you're just going to reinforce it again. So let's talk about why should anyone, for that matter, think about mobilizing the community to tell the story. 
Well, I think that uh, historians um, would uh, recognize this idea because um, many of them research documents and uh, records and other memorabilia from the past uh, by looking at the journals and diaries of individuals, uh, looking back at any snippet of information that um, an individual may have written at that time, at a time period, you can go back as far as we can in history to see that. And so my idea, which is not really mine alone, but my thought is, and my work at this point, is in having our communities do the same thing today. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, for the record, we are using technology in ways that um, will uh, hinder uh, historians and others in telling our stories the way that we see them in the future and, and the way that we see them now and hinder the storytelling in the future. Uh, for example, for example, we are texting, emailing, um, doing social media in many ways, but we are not putting pen to paper uh, so that we can leave something or even typing it up and printing it out so that we can leave something that could be traced by people in the future to know what our daily lives are like. Um, I would know that. I would know what I do from the time I woke up till the time I went to bed. Um, and uh, but if I'm not recording that, then others uh, in the future, not even my children, would know that. Uh, one of the things that I come across often would be um, people today who are in their 50s and 60s and older who are looking for anything that will tell them what life was like for their parents. Not life as a, as a society, you know, as, as society as a whole, but their particular parents. What did they do? Uh, how did they live? What games did they play? Um, just what went on besides the romance that we look back uh, in time with? So um, this is important, uh, that we start teaching our uh, communities, our families, we can start with the people in our families if we could get them to do it, uh, to write down their stories, type out their thoughts. Um, we live every, throughout history. We've all lived in times that needed to be, uh, where our thoughts needed to be recorded. Uh, if our people did not do that, then we don't know what was in their mind. But we can know uh, some generalities about the way that people lived based on newspaper accounts, based on others' views, and through secondary sources that serve to interpret those. But I would say mobilize, meaning take action, as, uh, as you've said, as part of the mission of this show, to learn, to listen, and to take action by recording this, putting it down, and telling it to someone. Right. Now, I've gone to, to various communities, I mean, just doing my own research, and I've mm -hmm. gone to the, the archives, I've gone into the um, courthouses, and I've gone to the libraries looking, and I've seen a void, I mean, a void in the, the African-American mm -hmm. community history. Yes. And mm -hmm. so my question to you is, 
where would someone begin in the mobilization process so that that story is told and not forgotten, or there is a story that's told in that that community, but it's not your story? Well, um, I I just today spoke with a good friend, Miss Ida James of Covington, and she shared with me. Um, some, an activity that she used to do. She's a retired third grade teacher, and an activity she did with third graders in teaching them reading and writing. She had each child to interview a family member and to uh, write down exactly what they said, to write their stories, and then, of course, she would have that child bring that person to school to uh to tell their stories. And and she shared with me how important that was both to the child and generally an older person. Uh that one little essay might be the clue to discussing a family story uh in years to come. And I also had a I have another good friend, uh his name is Rudy Page, he's a retired high school teacher uh, here in Slidell, and he told me that in his high school classes he would have students to do something similar. Of course, it was m- more advanced. It involved secondary sources and the like, but to go around and to in- uh, interview World War II soldiers. And that that was very important, knowing that uh, that generation is uh, fading from us, um, either dying or losing their memories. But in having them go, having children go, many of them interviewed their grandparents uh, and the like. My son Michael was part of that class uh, one year, and he interviewed my father-in-law, who loves to tell you all of the details of it, of, of, of when he was at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed, um, and some other um, places that he went where he almost lost his life. Uh, so we have that written down. Uh, other children have written those stories down. And even when historians review records or review um, materials from 100, 200 years ago, they're looking at things that were written by very young people oftentimes. Um, And so you can just begin with listening to someone you know. I I, uh, heard one of your earlier shows um, by the genealogist, um, Ms. Uh, Raji, I think it is, and yes. uh, Angela Walton Raji, and she she made an important point. She said, if you go into a place and you see that little lady sitting on the porch, <laughs> go and ask her where the graveyard is, and she's going to ask you who are you looking for, and that will stimulate a conversation. And so uh, it would be uh, great to have young people sit and listen to older people uncritically but with innocent and probing ears. Uh, I think that one of the things, I, I can't say that I think, I know that one of the most important things that uh, have made an impact on my life was that when I was about 10 or 11 years old or so um, and it looked like I didn't have something to do around the house, my mother told me, go down to um, to old Miss So-and-So's house and read the newspaper to them. Go down. She needs someone to write a letter for her. 
and and or we have mail. She can't. This is a person who can't read or write, so she has mail from a relative from far away. Read that to her. Now, in reading that, I can recall some um, of some aspects of life that I would not have known as a child. Um, and so I'm saying using myself as an example, but also using the other two teachers' examples, um, uh, this is critically important. And, and one other thing about this is that for a very long time, while I taught at Southern and Baton Rouge and also in my semester, first semester here at Dillard, um, I gave students um, projects to do based on uh, certain as certain subjects we were doing in history, but it had to be they had to interview a, an individual to write a biographical essay. Call home, I told them, or uh, if you have someone near you, but you have to know this person and gave them some guidelines on how to do that. Uh, many of them had the same story. I didn't know that. I didn't know right. this aspect. I didn't know that. You didn't know that. Well, there's yes. a, a comment, and actually it's Angela Walton Raji, and okay, she's really? saying that <laughs> we should all be journaling about our lives, that yes. this is this is part of the task at hand, that we're not documenting, but then we're talking about mobilizing the community to tell the story, and we're not leaving our own paper trail. And okay. so uh, it's just it's just a point that she she's making based upon uh, a comment that you made. Oh, so, she's so right. She is so she's, yeah. she is just right on point. And uh, I'm still a letter writer. I like sending out Christmas cards. I like sending out notes every now and then to uh, to people. I like sending a note out to a, a young person who's parent or someone told me they achieved something, just send them a quick little note to to tell them, uh, to say something to them. Um, and one of my sisters, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> used to, uh, was living in California, at least several of them were, and every time I would write her a letter, she would call me back. <laughs> and she'd say, I just called you to tell you that I got your letter. And she would answer Everything that I may have asked or commented on, and she and I would say, I'm so glad to hear from you. But I want to get a letter from you. <laughs> I want. To. Right, and my sister-in-law. Right. I had a sister-in-law who's who's ill now, uh, Joyce, and she used to write to me all the time from the time I was a teenager, and I would write back to her, and we would share. Uh, and she was uh, much older than I uh, than I was uh, at the time, but but we would write letters, and I I have letters from as far back as I can remember, and some I have misplaced and I've been um, looking for them, <laughs> trying to find them through all our moves from time to time. But, yes, we must journal. We must keep a record. And I think that some people believe that they have to have a fancy journal uh, and some people believe that they have to have something erudite to say. They just need to write that thought down and to keep that record. And one other point on this is that my husband, Les, um, is well known as uh, the photographer who shows up everywhere with a camera at all of our events. And uh, we were at, um, we, we've been at places where some people will say, I don't like taking pictures. And I, my response to them always is that, 
I hope you live a very long time, but if you are gone or when you are gone, your children will want to know where was my mother, where was my father on that day. I know they were there. Where were they? And so not only in keeping a journal or a diary, if you will, uh, which has some, some differences, but also in our photographs, uh, print them out, or if you have a somewhere you can label them when you put them online, you must label them. You must say who's in the photograph. You must say um, we we have to tell that to people as we're taking the pictures and uh, name the people in the picture, name the location and the date and the event uh, if you can, because now we have photographs of our family members, of my father's family, my mother's family. We don't know who these people are. But and one of the concerns been- that I, I've had, and this is mainly for the young people, when someone passes away and they mm-hmm. leave photo albums, sometimes they'll flip through the photo album, they don't know who's in the photo album, and basically throw the pictures away. I received oh, yeah. a pack of pictures in the mail from a, a, a researcher in Louisiana who went to an antique store and he saw these pictures in the store, and he said, Bernice, I'm, I bought them because I said I'm, I'll send them to you. And and I actually sent the pictures to Antoinette Harrell. She posted them on on uh, her, her site. But mm-hmm. that's a problem when you go into a community and they don't have the pictures because the, the young people didn't think the pictures were important. Right. And well, so what do you what do you say about that? Well, it's not only young people. One of the um, <laughs> one of the um, recurring um, themes, if you will, that I had in doing the uh, work since um, 2012 on the Co- on Covington was that there were people who told me in confidence <laughs> that they would have had pictures, but when grandmother died or grandfather or the last of that generation passed away, one of their children was angry about something and went and threw all the pictures away. Um, one person told me how they somebody threw pictures all out in the yard and a lady passed and picked them up. Uh, she just happened to pick them up and made valuable contributions to the text. Um, as well, and we should look at churches, I had a number of churches who had wonderful, wonderful, long, long histories, um, and not only in Covington, but the project took me to Lafouche Parish. It took me to um, Arlene's and Plaquemines and St. Bernard Parish. Um, uh, but there were people in all of those places who said um, somebody came and took uh, the record books, took photographs, and burned them a church member who may have been angry about something and just in a fit of rage did that. Um, We have to get our institutions, particularly as we talk about African-American history, but also in the larger societies to find repositories for their documents. Uh, Many of them are at homes, many of them on computers someplace now, they are not in uh, a secure and sacred place. 
so uh, that's why I said it's not only young people, but um, it's also uh, some people with a bone to pick with someone or something else, but we must um, document not only through journaling, not only through writing diaries or keeping our letters, but we must document those photographs. And actually in mobilizing the community and getting them to, to, uh, to learn and to take action, that is one of the simplest things they should do. Go to those albums or go in the picture boxes and start writing down who's in them. And I did that with um, <clears throat> pictures we had since I could ever remember at my mother's. Um, and uh, just visited her. I was married with children and stuff, and we were just sitting there talking, and I said, you know, Mother, uh, tell me who all these people are, <laughs> if you can. Some of them she couldn't remember, but for the most part, I began writing the names on the back of the pictures. Um, and, of course, you have to use something, some, uh, something, maybe a felt or a light felt pen or something that does not bleed through the photograph. And you can't write, as you well know, Bernice, you can't use anything with a strong point on it so that it will ruin the photograph on the other side or the image. So, Right. Well, uh, we have a comment coming out of the chat room, and this is from Antoinette okay. Harrell. And okay. she, uh, she said, I run across this situation all the time. When I collect photographs without a name, I place them in my unknown file and preserve mm -hmm. them. I will mm -hmm. cite where I got them. Uh, from and from whom. She also mentioned, since you, you spoke of a repository, she mentioned, in, in memory of Dr. King's legacy, I'm making a donation tomorrow to the Center for Louisiana Studies at Southeastern. This is community genealogy. Oh, yes. I, I think that that's one of the things that, um, as I go to um, archives, uh, in parishes here in Louisiana, um, I, of which I must say the one in St. Tammany Parish is just outstanding, and Orleans Parish is outstanding, and I've been to some others that are very good and some that are terrible, uh, where they just uh, leave the documents out there and, and the weather and everything else is ruining, the, ruining them. Wonderful 17, 1800 docu uh, um, years, 1700s and 1800s documents. Um, but, uh, yes, I think that uh, that is an important um, thing to do. I want, as I said, I would love to, uh, in my dreams, <laughs> be wealthy enough to make huge contributions. But since we can't, we could make smaller contributions uh, to um, the archives, uh, if possible, in our parishes or our counties outside of Louisiana, but also at our universities at the Center for Louisiana Studies in Lafayette, at University of Louisiana, Lafayette. It's excellent, excellent. Right. Um, use there. Mm -hmm. And also in Opelousas, um, at the uh, parish uh, seats uh, there, the um, archives are great. And by the way, um, one of the things that has hindered, and I heard uh, one of your earlier guests say that on one of the programs, is that... Um, for many African Americans, um, well, let me back up and say I heard her dispel this, that many African Americans believe that we cannot find uh, the source of our histories. Well, Louisiana, South Louisiana and Louisiana as a whole is, has uh, a wonderful difference. It takes time. It's 
time-consuming, it's awfully expensive, but many of the documents are there. Um, They're in French or Spanish, (laughs) but uh, prior to, say, the end of the Civil War, um, but uh, it takes a little digging, but many of them are there. Many of them are not, of course, but uh, our history in South Louisiana especially is not lost, and I I have to give those kudos to... um, to Catholicism here and their um, ardent record keeping. The archdiocese here has excellent records of baptisms because they required slaves to be to be baptized. So, um, uh, so, so we can in in getting our communities interested and willing, we have to tell them, especially in the African American community, that yes, um, your history can be researched. Now, if you want to go back 500 years, that might not be possible. <laughs> but at some point, you have to be satisfied with uh, coming, going as far as you can get. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back because I want you to now take us through the process that you went through to mobilize the community of Covington, Louisiana, to tell their story. Okay, so we're okay. going to take a quick break and come right back. All right, thank you. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Now, I have opened the phone lines for questioning. If you would like to ask a question or make a comment, just call 646 646- Two zero 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 four nine one and press one to speak to the host. I will call out your area code and you will be live. Well, you have been listening to Dr. Eva Simeon Baham discuss strategies to mobilize the community to tell their story. So, Eva, oh, I have a questioner already. So we have uh, someone on the line. Area code 734, you're live. 
You're Hi, live, Ariel. Doctor Bayham. Yes. 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 I'm Janie Jones from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, hi, and I think I, I have, know who this is. This is hi. my oldest sister calling oh. in from Michigan. Well, nice of you to call in. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. And uh, Ms. Bennett, thank you for having Dr. Bayham. I have a question. In your book signing, you you made a comment. History lives within you. Can you expound a little bit more on that statement? Yes. yes, I think it fits right into our topic tonight on mobilizing the community and telling their stories, that history is it is in you. Everybody has a story from their past, a, um, from its from their beginnings, but only, but also in the as we think of it in the southern uh, context, is that uh, the memory goes long before you, and so you are that living memory, and so that history, that story, those experiences you've had should continue on in you, and you should be willing to pass them on. Uh, one thing I can. Uh, say about, uh, among many, about my uh, sister Janie, who's calling from Ann Arbor, Michigan, is that um, she has a wonderful story that she could tell. Um, She knew my grandparents, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, I did not know him. So some things that she has said to me about him brings him alive within me. As well, uh, she was part of that great migration up north to uh, Michigan. And so that is an experience. Um, uh, if you read, I think it's the warmth of other people's sons, I think it's the name of the text, um, she could, or you, could find um, uh, a, your own life in that story and uh, and in that history. So I would urge you to uh, bring forth that history that's within you. Start writing it down. Um, I'm not going to say how old you are, but uh, write it down uh, so that your children, your uh, siblings, and others uh, can know what you experienced at that time. It doesn't have to be perfectly written, although I'm, I know that you're a good writer. It doesn't have to be fancily written. Um, it just You just have to dr- jot those thoughts down. Right, and we actually have a comment out of the chat room. This is what makes journaling so important. The present is with us, but once we put it down in writing, it becomes history. I like that, Angela. That's a great great comment. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I'll have to use that. I will, of course, attribute that to her. But it is, it's, uh, I have a, I have a, 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 somewhat of a phrase, something I paraphrase from um, uh, C.L.R. James, the noted thinker uh, from the Caribbean, uh, but it's not his exact thing, but it's the thought I got for it, and it talks to me, it says the, the, the past in the present and the present in the future. Um, so right. Get, right. It, get it down. And I know you wanted get me to talk down. about... Get it down. I want you to you go are, through the process. I want okay. you to step by step because we have genealogists on the line. We have historians, but 
tell us the process. What would you do first, second, third, fourth? Let's just hear it. Well, well, the first thing is that uh, in this particular instance, um, my uh, my son, and this usually you you will have to have um, someone to refer you to different people, but uh, my son Michael was the chair of the Obama campaign in this parish uh, and um, for the second uh, election, and uh, he was working in Covington. He was doing some work there about 25, 30 miles from here, and um, I, I am assuming that it was him who, uh, it was he who gave my name to people to for me to speak on Juneteenth. Now, the reason why this is important is because oftentimes um, historians or others who may call themselves buffs, who who aren't trained historians but who are interested in history and the like, um, are um, are not always willing to speak to people on a park in a community or wherever they want to meet and the like. So I, I did that. I went, they invited me, I spoke to them. But what I did and what I always try to do when I'm speaking to local communities or organizations is to make the presentation about them. I was speaking at a park across the street from what had been a Rosenwald school. And I told the story of Julius Rosenwald and the community of Covington and how they got that school. And the people had not heard that story before. And so they asked me if I would, quote, unquote, help them, help the African-American community to uh, put together their history. And so the mayor was there and a couple of city council people and, and community leaders and they paired me up with the historian Howard Nichols, who was doing the larger Covington story. Well, it, it, the, the African-American story started uh, mushrooming so big that uh, it, we, we actually, Howard continued doing his share, the larger story, and I did African-American community. People came up and said, we have no history here. And I said, you do have a history, and it does live within you. <laughs> it's here. We just need to pull it out. And and so what I did was to long before this was a year or so before the book was in notion, but was to go to to put together the people who asked me to do this and ask them to form a committee. Now, even if you're not doing it for something as big as a bicentennial or something as big as some citywide program or whatever. Even if you just want to know about your your town, you should get people uh, strategically placed from differing groups, uh, parts of town, who could open doors for you. I didn't know people in Covington at all, although now I know a whole bunch of them. Um, and and so that we met, and I began to uh, I gave them an outline, uh, began to to talk about what we're looking for, and one of the Critical areas, if not the most critical area, particularly in rural uh, southern towns, is the church. And so there were people from each of the churches um, in that community. Each of the I found out which were the oldest churches in the community. It's a little town, but there are several churches there. 
and each one of them recommended somebody from different churches. That going to the church was um, something that I could not do without. (laughs) And at the churches were those stories. Those were the elderly people. Those were the older people, not necessarily always elderly, um, and those, that was the woman who was there. There were women there who were sitting on the porch um, <laughs> to make use of uh, of Miss Walter Ronzi's uh, comment. Um, and I had to go to their homes, and I had to search them out, um, and ask them for photographs, and ask, sat there and asked them to tell me about them. Miss um, James went to her church, and she came up with a form. And she asked people, based on some of the things we had talked about, uh, to fill the form out, to attach their pictures, to write down uh, who's in the picture, what they were doing, when it was, and so on and so forth. And, And this is the essential step in telling a story, because it must be the people's story. When, as academicians, we are writing, we're looking for analysis and interpretation and an understanding uh, of various things in telling these stories. But if we want to talk to let people tell their own story, and and the historian in me can be the conduit, then of course we'll have a different kind of context. And so I went to the first, got the little committee together. Then they gave me recommendations, and again, in the rural South, it is important that you have someone who can introduce you. And so when I showed yes. up, I would say, um, Mr. Davis sent me, or Mr. Bo Elsie, or Miss Ellis Salmon told me that she had spoken to you uh, about me, or Reverend Callahan said there was. These are all people who are well respected in this community. And so, oh well, come on in, <laughs> come on in, and 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 then they would tell me where to go. Uh, pardon me, they would give me their information. But it, one of the big problems was uh, trying to get pictures. Oftentimes, the only photograph from them, and to convince them that I would return them, and I had to keep my word um, that I brought the, the photographs here. I, my husband helped me to scan them, and uh, we put them on CDs. And by the way, that's one other thing that um, that he does is that when we're talking about uh, family photographs that you want to scan, it is just so easy to scan them, make a CD for everybody, <laughs> and then everybody has the pictures. So we don't have to fight over grandma's pictures. But um, I I had to go to people one-on-one, and and I went in and was welcomed into so many homes, Um, and not just in the African-American community, because, of course, I'm telling that story uh, from the earliest period of Covington history, even before it actually was a town uh, in 1813, Um, and so uh, we know that there was slavery. We know that people after slavery were, were domestics and the like, and so I had to, of course, uh, be introduced to people, to non-black people, uh, who also welcomed me to talk about their um, about their associations. Sometimes they were servants, sometimes they were friends, uh, and the like. So I had to go in with that open mind to um, to meet people where they were. 
So that was the first step. First the committee and right. the second Well, well let me just kind of sum up what I'm hearing you say. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, somebody had to uh, find you credible and right. to trust you for mm-hmm. you to move from the, from the, the park into the home. <laughs> from the gym <gentle> speaker <laughs> at the park, <laughs> yes. And I found those because people in that committee. <laughs> because you you have so many people though that will say, well, I want to I want to tell the story, and they're takers, mm-hmm. but they're not giving something back, which yeah. is the community story. They're doing their research on that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. if the it sounds like though through your process of engaging the community, they became a part of this and they were invested in this to the point where they trusted you to allow yeah. Yeah. you to take their pictures and you return the pictures. Someone they did not know prior to this, and that was uh, a show of confidence and um, in the recommendations that were made uh, that uh, of me and and the introductions that were made and I am grateful for that not because it produced this uh, record but because it said a lot about the people um, who shared their stories but also what they thought of me um, in just meeting me and my and as I said my family through my son Michael and and then uh, of course my husband was doing some work uh, with some people there so they they were familiar with them but not with me. And um, and then with them only uh, briefly because of uh, the nature of what was happening at the time. And so one of the things that uh, happened from that was that uh, that was uh, that took a lot of time, <laughs> but it, it certainly uh, was enriching for me. Was that I also had to go to the church services. I sat in mm-hmm. a lot of church services. And I had to go to uh, the First Missionary Baptist Church Bible Study, and I um, and, and sometimes the pastor would call on me. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure if I was saying the right thing, but uh, he would reference me. But do you understand then what happened was that in ge- that engendered that confidence in me, and uh, and the like, and that people saw me in their environment, and I needed to sit there. I needed to feel uh, the the kind of history that permeated through those churches, and um, I discovered that in Covington, in 1854, there was an AME church, the AME, the African Methodist Episcopals, who uh, were vehemently against uh, slavery, and here they were in this place with a church, <laughs> and. Um, and then, of course, uh, I, that took me also to New Orleans, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with the historic St. James AME Church, um, the first AME church in New Orleans. Uh, certainly not the oldest in the South, but uh, according to their pastor, at the, Duncan at the time, he said that, um, who was also a historian for the AMEs, he said that it enjoyed, along with, I think, others, uh, a, the longest uh, a long continuous history, but that church was founded in 1848 by the same person who founded the Covington Church and founded the AME Church in Algiers. And so it took me to meet uh, people at the historic St. James Church to sit into their in their church services and to talk with them. So 
I think that one of my strengths, at least I'd like to think so anyway, is is being able to engage people in a conversation, not not about me, but about them in doing this story. So that it was uh, a long time, a lot of work, uh, but certainly rewarding. So going to the churches, first the committee, second uh, being introduced to people in the community by people who were well-respected in that community, <laughs> and then going to to their organizations, particularly uh, the churches. By the way, um, as uh, you may well know, uh, this wasn't just uh, African-American churches because there were um, – one day I was talking to Ms. James, who was working so hard with the Bethel Reform Methodist Group, um, and she said, "Did you ever do any? Did you ever find anything <laughs> about the uh, about the Holy Family School?" And I said to her, "There was a Catholic school here in church." She said, "Oh yeah, and it was good teaching there." That took me. I called my friend Don Hernandez, my former colleague at Southern, who had done a lot of work with the uh, Sisters of the Holy Family at the Mother House. Asked him. He gave me an introduction to the sisters there. And they sent me that history. And from there, it took me to the Abbey in St. Joseph's, and um, just north of Covington. And there I was. They gave me access to archives. I was on the ground. I took my mother, my elderly mother-in-law with me. And uh, we were there, out there where the monks are, and so on and so forth. So... Uh, because I could have those recommendations, if I would urge anyone who wants to write a history or I would say a story of experiences uh, to get to know in their own communities uh, people who could tell that story and people uh, for whom this is important. And uh, you don't know where it might take you. Um, it took me to Lafouche Parish to, um, with uh, Kathleen Rhodes of the uh, Rhodes Funeral Home and, um, and Pam uh, Coward, Harris Coward, her cousin. Uh, the three of us rode out there and talked to people, searching the roads because they were critical to the story in Covington um, and uh, introducing us to people there. Uh, and, and so it's getting to know people, I guess, would be the best summation I could give to you. It's getting to know people, uh, being willing to make sh- to make sure that you could be introduced and that when you make a promise, you live up to your promise. Um, right. And there's, there's some comments coming out of the chat room. One of the comments mm-hmm. is that it sounds like they believe that you were an honest participant. Oh, that's and nice. another is that, as you had said, uh, establish a trust and let them tell their story. Oh, that's exactly and, it. And, you know, exactly another it. comment, what a wonderful experience. The communities mm-hmm. we go to often have more to give and teach us than we may realize. This is from yes. Jolie. Yes, I listen I wholeheartedly agree with that. Establish the trust and then let them tell their stories. When um, the, the book African Americans in Covington, uh, through Arcadia Press, the history, uh, through Arcadia Publishing slash the History Press, um, is uh, a leading publisher of local histories. 
And uh, one of the things that, uh, one of their, their main things is that they want to tell the story through photographs. Now, it, it's a good marketing device because people will want to see themselves in a, a publication. But on on the end of putting it together, it lets people tell their story the way they want it to tell their story. I was just the conduit um, there. I went to the archives. I went all over the place uh, looking for this and looking for that because I wanted to document everything, and I wanted it to be good history. Um, some of those uh, books will only have photographs with captions, but every chapter has to have a historical introduction um, so yes. that I could put the photographs in context. Um, I, I, I want to add to this at this point that my other point, I am um, not a professional genealogist. I'm a budding genealogist, but I'm a historian. And the other part of this story uh, that we can see in that little book is that um, to help people to understand, as we're doing genealogy, how to put it in the context of history. Because people didn't act uh, in the absence of their own time period. And so uh, it was wonderful to find documents in the courthouse in Covington of marriages that took place in 1868. Many of them took place at the end of 1868. So we ask, why did that happen? And I'm sure, Bernice, you know why. And that is that the uh, particularly the, the African-American uh, legislators in Louisiana pushed to legitimize marriages. Many of them were between people who two people who had been together during slavery, but slavery prohibited them from being legitimately married or legally married. They, we've, we are all familiar with the whole jump in the broom, and that was what they had to do because they could be separated. But here, black legislators in Louisiana uh, then pushed for this legislature, and then we have a flurry of marriages. I found my own grandparents, in 1868, marrying, I found, uh, for, just in my own search of my own family, but here in Covington, I found families that I could put in the book who married in 1868, particularly Duplin and Zoe Rhodes, um, and Zoe DuPerry Rhodes. But then another thing that was so moving, um, I heard a guest call in on one of your earlier shows talking about what it felt like when she found uh, a slave ancestor. But one of the things that was so moving to me, I was standing in the courthouse in Covington, and I came upon this document of Duplin uh, and Zoe Dupere uh, Rose. And there, in moving language, he tells he is legitimizing his children. Well, why is that in 1870? They had a peculiar existence, they had been together. She was free, he was a slave, and they had been together since the eight, about mid-1850s and had all these children. They, they were married in 1868, and then the Louisiana black African-American legislatures pushed to pass to legitimize your children who were born outside of the bonds of marriage and outside of the bounds of the law because the law wouldn't allow it. And, he, and here the court records 
is so beautifully moving. He, I could picture them walking to the courthouse with all of those children, Duplin and Zoe, walking to the courthouse with their children, and he lists them all, their full names and their ages and when they were born. And there the, the, the stenographer notes that he was there to legitimize his children. And and so uh, looking through that, he was an early founder, though a slave of the AME church there, um, and he could read. And she was free. She was born a slave, but then she was freed, and she could not read and write. But she had to buy property in her name because he couldn't at the time. Um, and then later on, you'll see in the records that he did. So, so it's it's just um, going to all these places. And then when I could present this information to the people of Covington, the 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 reaction that they gave to hear this history as documentation of the stories that they were told elevates them uh, in ways that that were just wonderful to see. <laughs> right, you're part so you're of saying story. it's not it's not just a document, but there's the historical context associated with that document yes. that helps tell the entire story. That's I right. have a, a genealogy and historical friend who will say genealogy without history equals incomplete. It is. And exactly. so what it's, you're it's saying is that of begats and begats. <laughs> it's like yes, who begats yes. whom. Um if if it's it's that part of the record that said so and so begat, who begat, who begat. But then what's going on at the time and what were those people experiencing? Um That's it's part right. of that genealogical search. And and um I I apologize for interrupting you. I got too excited about it at that moment. <laughs> but um, well, it is it is very exciting, you know, just to think that not only did you uh, have the trust of that community to go in and and help them tell their story, but then you could add to that story with the yes. historical information, just to That's make right. it even more valuable uh, to more. the community. That's now, there's right. a question in the chat room. It it goes not so much to the community, but it's to individuals. What okay. guidelines would you use to facilitate interviewing family members to start mm-hmm. telling the family story? Well, I will share with you what I share with my students at the university level. Uh, it's first to do the same thing. You have to engage them in some way. Um, If you are then, when I say to a student that you have to interview a family member, many of them want to interview their mothers or grandparents, grandfathers or or their dad or or someone, um, first of all, I ask them to introduce themselves um, to their parents or to the grandparent and tell them, what you are interested in doing. And then, of course, you will have to find a way to um, ask them something or start talking about something that interests them, not you. That interests them. And so what that means is that prior to going to talk to anyone, you must do some preliminary research. 
uh, you must talk to people and find out or look for information. Do that historical research. You know, you should do that secondary research anyway. Um, and to find out what they may have experienced at a certain time. The King holiday is coming up. For students who are at home, they may want to ask a, a grandparent or someone in their family um, what they were doing. <laughs> Uh, at a certain time in the civil rights movement or or since. Uh, 1969, in uh, much of the South, the Supreme Court says no more uh, uh, all deliberate speed. You have to integrate the schools uh, right now. <laughs> and so I had a student last semester who spoke with the parent, uh, a grandparent who went through that. What did it feel like to have your school closed down? And then all your history wiped away, and you had to go to um, a school that largely the people that largely did not want you there. And and the grandmother said to him, I didn't want to go there either. All my friends, they split us up in all of these different schools. I didn't want to go there. I wanted to be safe and secure where I was. We were afraid. And he said to me, she was She's always the strong one in our family. I said, but she had to be a teenager at some time and have the same insecurities that you have. And that opened up mm-hmm. a whole new ball game for them. And so what That's I would right. say is to, to then engage them in, um, in a manner uh, that one could uh, discuss something of interest to that person, but that you truly and genuinely want to know. Um, I, I was... In, I was in the homes of the, uh, the, there was a Negro League baseball club in um, in Covington. And when I went to speak to uh, Mr. Heiser, I was introduced to him, and the person who introduced me took me over to his house, and he wasn't really well, but he sat there and he talked to me. But he said, we have to get this straight. <laughs> the picture you have of the baseball club is the second club. I'll give you the name. Ah. <laughs> Oh. That's the second club. And then who is this guy standing here? Well, the noted um, NFL player, Isaiah Robinson, that was his dad. And people old, over and over told me, Sonny Robinson was a great businessman. Sonny Robinson had a good heart for people here. And he said, but he, if there were another time, would have been one of the great baseball players in this country. I had insight into that, and so I wanted to talk. I wanted to know all about baseball, even though they, you know, they were the, the, the these guys were getting a kick out of the fact that I didn't know what a closer was. <laughs> I didn't know what things were, so they explained all this to me, and I was truly interested in knowing the dynamics of that. Um, and 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 again, the, uh, to talk to them about what interests them. Uh, in talking about the AME Church, uh, Dowdy Chapel, which shares the name of its, its founder, and then moving forward in the court records, the oldest Baptist church in Covington is the black church, the first missionary Baptist church founded in the 1890s. And, and so that was news even to some of the people in the town to say, well, wait a minute, we have a first Baptist church. I say, well, it doesn't take anything from the first Baptist church, but they didn't come until the 20th century. Actually, there were two black churches there that were formed before the first um, non-black uh, 
uh, Baptist Church was formed. But I had to listen to them, and I had to let them tell me so that I could go to the courthouse and document that. So I've had people ask me over and over, are you sure that's correct? <laughs> sure? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, mm-hmm. those people at the First Missionary Baptist Church have been saying that they are the oldest Baptist Church that they were formed. Uh, and I said, I have the documents. If you want to see the court documents, it's here when they have their charter. And um, so when, so when we're talking about mobilizing the community, and because you did this, how long did mm-hmm. it take? Well, I started it in the summer of 2012 on that park on Juneteenth, and uh, the the city was very supportive, of course, and it was uh, a full time uh, venture. I had just left Southern, so it gave me the time to do it. And I spent that entire year, every day almost, uh, doing something. I was so, I had not, I was so involved in this that I think for about two to, about three months I did not even attend my own church. (laughs) Because I was going to all these churches just to get to talk to people, just to see how their churches were, uh, to get the feel of of, of the people at the churches. So that part of it. And then uh, the next year for the Bicentennial, in July 4th, 18, uh, 2013, because it was founded in 1813, uh, the week before then, the city put on a wonderful uh, program where I got to present all of that history uh, uh, for that first year. And then I saw the Arcadia Publishing um, uh, Company. I sent them a proposal and they accepted it, so it took me another, let's see, that's 20, 30, another couple of years to finish, to find more photographs, to find more stories, to talk with more people, go back and talk to the same people again. <laughs> and, and then, uh, so uh, the book uh, came out, I think, what, 2015. So we're talking about three years of doing just this. It, it, it uh, will not, and it did not make me rich, but... Uh, in terms of finances, but I'm telling you, I am immeasurably enriched by my associations with all of these people in Covington, in the area. I've been asked to speak in Madisonville at a historic church there. I told the story of some of their older members and and the like. Um, My associations with the Rhodes family. Um, and uh, going down to places like Lafouche and finding out, uh, I'll say this quickly, uh, the preliminary research, why did the Rhodes family move from Covington? Well, probably because of unrest right after the Civil War there. The entire clan of them moved out first to New Orleans and then down to Lafouche. Why did they leave Lafouche? Well, engaging uh, people in telling their stories. The family had this story that they have been told since the late 1800s that they all picked up and left after there was a riot against black people there and they had to leave in the night. The matriarch was very fair-skinned, having been the child of a slave owner and a slave, uh, uh, Duplan was very dark. Uh, they would hide out in the night, in the woods, in the night, and the and the mother, the matriarch Zoe, would prepare things, and they packed up everything and left by wagon and walking 
from Thibodeau, Louisiana, to New Orleans. Now that's a long way in the in the eight, late 1870s. Well, what happened? The uh, the Knights of Labor tried to organize the sugar workers, uh, the workers in the sugar fields. Uh, the people there weren't weren't having it. The governor calls out a militia. There were vigilantes coming for from as far as Alexandria, and they waged war on these black people there. And these people barely escaped. Now, through that story, that family story that some people might dismiss and say, oh, you know, oh, so-and-so doesn't know what he's talking about. They do know what they're talking about. Uh-huh. And there have uh-huh. been articles and um, and other uh, uh Scholarly works written on what happened in Thibodeau in the in the 18, late 1800s. So yes, again, I think one of the people in the chat room had it just right. One, you had to make sure that they trust you, and and you have to be genuinely interested in their stories, um, and uh, you have to let them tell it. And then my job or any any other historian slash genealogist job is to go to the courthouses, go to the libraries, go to the graveyards, as as uh, we heard uh, at one of the uh, earlier shows. The graveyards tell wonderful stories. Um, go to all these places. The people aren't looking at all those um, areas that historians and professional genealogists are looking at. We need to look at look for them and then let them and and add it to that. It enriches their own existence. Right. So it's a wonderful well, thing we have this. a question coming out of the chat. And okay. had you always planned to go with Arcadia to uh, publish the story? I did not. Um, it just it's just that I had all these. Uh, this collection of photographs. I saw the books. They're everywhere. You see them with the sepia tone books. And I looked through it, and I saw one on Covington. And, of course, it did not include uh, the African-Americans in that community. There's one on Slidell, and they're everywhere. Um, someone else gave me um, one from um, that that included, that was actually focused on Zodico. I think I got that in Lafayette and one on African-Americans in Lafayette, I think it was, uh, or it is. Um, and um, and I thought, well, let me try it. Um, if not, I would have uh, done something totally differently, and that is to uh, put it into a, a scholarly article, perhaps submit it to a journal for it to be approved. But I'm glad that didn't happen because now the people get to see their work in yes. uh, a respected yes. text. And they love it, now, and I love it. <laughs> I love it. And they how has it. the community responded to the book? Oh, very well. Actually, someone, a person, I guess it must be a salesperson or something, called me about a month ago um, and uh, and asked me, do you need more books to sell? I said, well, I'm not that good at selling. <laughs> so um, I, so I, I don't think so. I just refer people to the uh to your website, and, and I asked her, is there a problem? Is the book selling well? And she said, it's selling very well. I don't know, you know, they must be making money off of it. I'm not. But I, I said, it's okay. It's um, So I initially did not. Um, but it's one of the best decisions. Um, I wish I could just have you to, or have people to talk to anyone who has, uh, who's a 
who knows or associated with anyone from Covington because from hearing that we have no history to seeing it in all of its glory, their photographs, their images, I should say, their stories told, it's just been a wonderful thing for me to see. I, I'm going there Monday, actually, because they have a wonderful uh, King uh, program, uh, MLK Junior program there. So I am going to that program on Monday. So I'll get to see a lot of people I hadn't seen all semester. But, um, but yes, um, it's, a, it, it's just a wonderful experience and has been for me. Right. Well, I have a, uh, just as closing remarks, and I'd like you to, to give us just some closing remarks for those who have been listening to you uh, for the last hour. What other takeaways do you want them to, to gain from understanding why you should mobilize the community to tell their stories? Well, first of all, uh, the why is that we should not allow somebody else to write our stories for it, our, our intimate stories. Um, write them down yourself. Uh, I have read um, letters of a Haywood family in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is a slaveholding white family there. Uh, and those letters go on and on between sisters and between brothers and sisters about any number of things, but I have a very clear picture of how their lives were. So uh, you may not be letter writers. Uh, you might just want to write a little note uh, to yourself. Um, one of the things I, I think that um, that I know I should do, I keep planning to do, is, is to uh, I have to... Uh, notebooks here that I wanted to write letters to my son so that they could have them in the future, not necessarily now, and I, I need to get started on doing that, but um, to write down your thoughts uh, so that other, so that others will know exactly what was happening with you. Um, Reverend uh, Mallory Callahan wrote a very moving introduction uh, to African Americans in Covington, and and I didn't have to hear him, although he preaches very well, very profoundly. I didn't have to hear him read that to me because he was giving a firsthand observation about his grandparents and his parents mm-hmm. uh, in that introduction. And and so that is going to be, it's, it's, it's not very long, but it is going to be important for posterity, not only for his family, but for that community. And even though I'm saying mobilizing the community, I'm, I am talking about individuals. And so the first thing is to write it down. Just scribble something down, but keep it together. Keep it in a binder, or put it in a notebook or something, and keep it with you. Um, the next thing is, Talk to people uh, who may be able to have to give you a firsthand experience of something, and then if you are very young or very old or in between, uh, then tell it to some tell your story to someone else. Um, my sons love for me to tell them how silly I was in my dorm room with my friends, uh, Jean and Betty and Diane and Faye, when I first met the man who became their father. <laughs> you know, they, 
they loved hearing that story. Um, mm-hmm. And and because then they 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 can see in me a teenager at some point. <laughs> I was yes. a teenager, even though one yes. of them told me I should not have been wearing short dresses. I said, "Well, I was a teenager. Could you just let me be nineteen at one time?" But but they <laughs> but, but they they like um, hearing that story. So tell your story to them, and. Um, before you start repeating it, um, just absentmindedly, just tell them now in ways when it comes up that they can uh, they can tell it to somebody else so that they can share in that. Maybe they'll write it down uh, and the like. Um, it is important to tell our own story. It doesn't matter which culture you come from, ethnicity. Uh, it that that everybody should be doing this so that we can leave a record. Type it up and just print it out. And That's uh, right. That's the best and fastest way to do it. Um, I think that that's, uh, that would be a wonderful uh, beginning in terms of getting you in action. So when you said in your introduction to listen, to learn, and take action, uh, I just felt that that fits so well in what I try to do and what I do in talking to people about their own stories. Thank you so very much. This has been just a great opportunity to reinforce, reinforce the need to tell your story. And I'm just looking at the comments coming out of the chat room, and uh, here is uh, Alvin. Alvin Blakes is saying he first discovered your book in the Dallas Public Library. Oh, well, how wonderful. Yes, so he's saying congratulations, great well, work. Well, yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, have, and uh, Genealogy Jen is saying there's the 52 weeks for family search right now. So let's say 52 weeks you have to write yes. your story. Yes, you that's need wonderful. to start writing. So I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us tonight. And for everyone else, please remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and AfroGenius Facebook pages, and also remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton-Raji and also watch the Black Progen Live with host Nika Sewell-Smith. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. Well, I look forward to all of you joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Eva. Good night, Bernice. Thank you so much for having me. Okay.